Welcome to the Digital Agency Growth Podcast. I'm your host, Dan Englander. Today's episode is sponsored by our company, Sales Schema. And today we are giving away our pretty recent video training, which is how to build an evergreen growth engine for your boutique agency. It runs about 30 minutes and it shows everything that we've learned over the last six to 12 months when it comes to doing demand generation, doing outreach, getting very busy high-level marketing leaders to agree to have a business conversation and purchase services from your agency. It's everything we've learned from dozens of clients. So if you want to get that, you can go to saleschema.com slash video training. So here at Sales Schema, we are talking to probably 30 to 50 agencies a month. We are surveying hundreds and we're working with dozens as, as part of our fractional new business team throughout a year. And one of the biggest problems that we see and one of the biggest obstacles is when the agency hires a salesperson and it doesn't work out. And there's all sorts of variables here. So that makes it a very difficult problem to diagnose. Sometimes it's because the agency isn't ready and they don't have the support and the infrastructure to support that salesperson. Sometimes it's because they made a bad hire, which happens all the time and is very easy to do, or sometimes it's some other reason. Um, but the way it plays out is they hire the salesperson they promise them the world because frankly, they're salespeople. That's what they do. <laughs> they're, they're probably pretty good at getting hired if you're not used to hiring for that role. Um, they say they have a giant Rolodex or whatever it might be. And then three, six, nine months play out and it doesn't work out. And that could be, again, for all sorts of reasons. But in this episode, we wanted to get somebody on who is the ideal archetype for a successful agency salesperson. And they also happen to be a new client of ours. So today's guest is Andrew Leshen, who is a partner at Mad Studios, which is based out of Fort Lauderdale. I really enjoyed this conversation with Andrew because he really demonstrates what an agency salesperson can be in terms of curiosity, in terms of, of high energy, in, in terms of kind of selling the creativity of the agency just in spirit all the time. Um, and beyond that, he's not, he's a young guy. This guy's 29 years old. And a lot of the times what we hear is, you know, hey, I'm I'm the owner of the agency. I'm 60 years old, and I'm the only one I trust to be in the room with the Fortune 500 CMO. And this is just a shiny example of why you can hire and train for for any particular role if you're committed to building out that role. And frankly, you're going to have to if your agency is going to grow. So, without further ado, please give it up for Andrew Leshen. Andrew, thanks for coming on the podcast. My pleasure, man. Yeah, and we you know we've talked a bunch before. We're working together and everything, and. I wanted to schedule this interview because I think you are just, you know, an ideal archetype or blueprint for, for an effective agency salesperson. And I think that that's one of the most common problems and challenges that we, we see in our market is grooming somebody to get to a level like the one you're at now. So, yeah. so I think that's, that's definitely something I want to focus on with this. Um, but first I'd love to hear from you and just learn a little bit about your journey, kind of how you got from whatever you were doing, you know, fresh out of college to, being a partner at Mad Studios. Sure, and I will try and keep it as concise as possible because uh, like most salespeople, I have a tendency to get long-winded. Um, but let's see, we'll start with the finale of college, graduated with a degree in English literature, and much like every other English lit major, uh, was both being questioned, uh, questioning myself and questioned from pretty much everybody else, what are you gonna do with your life? Uh, and most people would, would say, well, what are you going to do? Are you going to be a teacher? And, and I always actually found that kind of offensive because I think we need good teachers. So it's like, if I chose that route, why not? 
Um, but instead what I did is I, I packed my bags and I went on a journey uh, to Asia for a couple months. Not on one of those crazy eat, pray, love uh, type adventures, but more so just traveling, hanging, crushing beers in foreign countries and, and enjoying uh, the freedom that I could before I needed to actually find uh, an actual job. Uh, so while I was over there, got connected with some people, ended up actually getting an internship opportunity in Hong Kong, um, working for a large cosmetic packaging company um, as a copywriter. And one of the accounts that I was put on was um, for the woman that created Hello Kitty, Yuko Shimuzu. Um, and so essentially my, my foray, my intro into sort of the advertising world was writing copy for one of her sub brands called Rebecca Bonbon. Uh, and very much like Hello Kitty, it's a sweet little uh, uh, pug that travels the world and does fantastic, amazing things that a character like that would be doing. Um, so I did that for two years was really interesting, got a lot of awesome experience, not only writing the copying, copy for uh, the product, but also getting to do some of the distribution sales. So I got to travel around with the team, uh, go to all sorts of different markets in India, South Korea, Singapore, um, Hong Kong, China. I mean, you really name it. And um, I got to speak with all different types of cosmetic retailers on how the Rebecca Bonbon cosmetic line would fit in and, um, you know, would compete with some of the other sort of kitschy uh, makeup lines that they were housing in the store. So it was cool. It was like I got, a, I got a taste of both the marketing side of things and the sales side of things, really young, fresh out of school, getting this kind of amazing international travel experience. Um, and it really kind of forged the path um, for me, as far as saying like, wow, like the world can be so much more than being a teacher. <laughs> um, not that that, I, that was really where I thought I was going to go, but it was an option. Um, so I got to see a lot of different types of businesses and how it works and uh, really interesting international exposure. So fast forward a little bit. Uh, Hong Kong had its place in time. Uh, I was ready to come back to the States and start my journey here. Um, so I moved back to the States. Um, I'm from Fort Lauderdale, Florida. So I figured the first jump off point would be to go home, see my family after years away from them, say hello for five minutes before I would inevitably bounce to either New York or LA or Chicago. I, I was looking, you know, I grew, I had grown so, so used to Hong Kong and the pace. I needed that. I needed to feed off that energy. Um, but what ended up happening is everyone's like, well, you should see what's going on in Fort Lauderdale. It's actually changed a lot since you left from college uh, uh, six years at that point, six years ago. Um, and so what ended up happening is I did some quick research on agencies in, in the area. And the first one that I stumbled across um, was MAD, which is the agency that I'm still working for to this day, uh, almost six years later. And so they had a position open for a copywriter. I said, oh, cool. All right. I'm well-versed in what a copywriter is supposed to be doing. So I applied for the job. Uh, I met Mark, who's the owner of the company. And immediately we just hit it off. I mean, he's just a, a super interesting guy, has a, his own interesting background and story of how he built the agency. And we'll, we'll get into more of the agency later on. But um, 
started doing copy for the agency, really liked it. Um, but as I was doing copy, I, I mentioned to him, I said, Hey, um, you know, if I was interested in bringing on clients, would it be possible to get a commission? I said, yeah, man, go for it. Uh, so while I was doing copywriting on the side, uh, I was going out, I was networking, I was meeting with people, I was cold calling, soliciting, um, and started bringing in clients um, while I was a copywriter. So you fast forward a little bit from there, eventually he said, hey man, you know, listen, not that your copy is crap or anything, but I kind of see you leaning way more into the sales and you're, you're doing a pretty good job. Do you want to do this full time? And for me at that point, having seen some commission checks and having seen sort of the opportunity, not only for me to kind of stretch and grow as a person and not be kind of chained to a desk, but also uh, financially is much more rewarding. Uh, I said, yeah, that this would be a great opportunity. So I really dove in um, and, and put everything that I've had that I have energy wise into becoming uh, an agency salesperson. And that's what I've been doing for the last five years now. And in that role, what, what has your, your company done to make you successful? What are the things, what's, what, how would you describe the sort of support training or, or nurturing you've gotten? Sure. Um, I think I'm, I'm lucky. I, I, I can't speak to, um, obviously I can't speak to other agency business development programs and agency owners and stuff like that. But, um, I've really been lucky that, uh, I think I, I built trust early on with Mark, who's the owner of the company, and I showed him the dedication that I would have towards the job even before I really had the job. You know, when I was a copywriter, I, I just put everything into it outside of what I was getting paid to do, which was being a copywriter. So uh, I think I established that, that good rapport with him and that trust with him which then in turn made him look at me and say, wow, I really trust this guy. At the time I was a kid, I trust this kid uh, to get the job done for me. So uh, he supported me, not only uh, giving me the tools and resources, if I say, hey man, I think this is a great CRM. Hey, I think we should run a mini campaign. Hey, I think that we should really shell out some cash and go to this expo or show or conference. Um, really, it's, it's very rare that he says no. And listen, a lot of times, some of the things that I ask for financially wise or training wise or um, exploratory don't pan out, you know, but at the end of the day, he's willing to um, support me and give me access to the things that think, um, that I will need in the succeed job. And more oftentimes than not, they do pan out. So uh, it's really the, the main thing that he's done is just give me full autonomy uh, and really let me figure out the job and what I need to do to, to close deals and to bring in new clients and not get in my way and not sort of say, I think this is how we should do it and let egos collide. Because at this point, I've been doing it. I'm the only person that's been doing it for the agency. So it, it doesn't serve him well to say, I think I know better. Uh, so it's really the, the main thing that he's given me is autonomy and uh, flexibility and room to figure it out. Yeah. And, and I, I love that approach and that, that sort of, you know, playful experimentation based approach to, to winning new business and growing the agency. Yet there's something that we see all the time in our field where we're talking to well-established agencies. Sometimes they have dozens of employees, they might have 50 or a hundred mm -hmm. and still the owners are the only ones that feel like they can handle new business. And they're mm -hmm. thinking, I'm talking to the CMO 
of a Fortune 500 company, and I'm not going to trust some kid to go do this. Mm-hmm. And I love that you have are serving as the shining example for why that works. But I, what, what would you say to that approach? Like, what would you say to convince you know a stodgy older agency owner that yeah, you actually can trust somebody younger to go out and do this? And hey, if you ever want to sell your agency, you're going to have to. You're going to have to mm-hmm. figure out this problem. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, it's a good question. Um, and I, I totally understand it from an agency owner's point of view. I mean, it's, um, I've seen, or I've heard so many failure stories with business development directors or business development in the agency, because you're selling something a lot of times that isn't so tangible. You know, I'm not, I'm not, it's not like I work for a wine company and I'm saying, Hey, liquor store or restaurant, I have this great wine at this price point, blah, blah, blah. It matches you're, you're selling ideas, you're selling things that haven't yet been created, something that you can't hold, touch, or feel. Um, you know, a lot of times you're selling your campaigns or, or um, uh, showing ROI through certain things, but again, a lot of times it's much more abstract, so there's, there's a high failure rate. So it's very hard uh, for agency owners to let go of the business development side of things. However, um, what I would say is, you know, you, you've got to, um, You've got to explore, you've got to, it's the hardest role to hire for. Let's put it that way. From my experience and from talking with other agency owners, you've really got to put the time in and you've almost got to hire somebody that at the end of the day, you can look at and say, you know, you're going to do business development for me, but I think in the long run, I could almost trust you to run the agency. So you're, you're hiring somebody that you see long-term potential in that you're not just looking for a quick fix of a couple sales here, a couple sales there that you're almost, whether or not that's your plan to hand over the agent. I'm saying you need to look for that type of mindset. Like, wow, this person could essentially run their own agency if they had the financial backing and means to do it. You need to find somebody who has vision and understanding and curiosity is well-spoken, is well-organized. It is a hard, hard role to find. So you need to be willing to put in the time, effort, and energy to find somebody that's going to match that type of criteria. Right. And, uh, and it's, it's obviously the gains are so big, so it's, it's worth the work. Um, but I'd love to dig into that a little bit more. And you're talking about how it's the highest failure rate, the hardest role to, to hire for. Mm-hmm. And obviously you don't have an insight into every agency, but in, in your, you know, in your estimation, why do you think it's the highest failure rate? Why do agency new business people tend to fail? Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I think the main thing probably is a lack of patience from an agency owner. Um, you know, I, I totally get it. I understand you want to see deal flow. You want to see closed jobs. Um, but again, you kind of have to remember, unless people are banging down on your door and saying like, hey, I saw this campaign you ran or this product that you built or this or that, um, deal flow for agencies can take weeks and months. It's again, kind of going back to the wine analogy. It's not a sign on the dotted line. Wow. That's a great product. It it's conversations. It's diving into business. It's uh, learning about individuals, learning about individual businesses. So uh, lack of patience, definitely not allowing an agency uh, a salesperson to really kind of flex and to build that pipeline and to build those relationships, which take time. Um, the other thing I, I think that leads to a lot of failure is, um, business development, uh, reps or, or directors or whoever it may be that person in that role, 
not necessarily finding ideal clients for that particular agency. So if you work for a branding agency, you know, you need to find clients that are, are needing in need of a rebrand or, or a, a jumpstart on branding. You can't be selling to, you know, technology companies that need software development or somebody who's looking for video work. So it, it's hard a lot of times to find your, your actual clientele. The, the hunt, so to speak, of, of finding the right type of client is extremely difficult and time consuming. And uh, again, it kind of goes back to the patience thing. It can run out real quick with owners when they're like, hey man, you're three months, four months, five months into the job and I don't have that half million dollar, million dollar deal that you told me you would land. And the other thing too is, I gotta say this, taking a step away from agency owners, it's setting the right expectations. So I think a lot of salespeople are salespeople. So when they get the job, they might be, they're essentially, and all people are to a certain extent when they're getting hired for something, they're selling the owner on their capabilities and their ability to bring in business. And you've got to really take, again, going back to taking the time to hire somebody quality um, and understanding expectations up front to say, hey, I might not have a closed deal in these first couple months. Sometimes you can pick the low hanging fruit just to show some traction. Um, if, if an agency owner is okay with that smaller deals and smaller projects. Um, but it's all about setting the right expectations. And if you're not setting the right expectations and communicating upfront your abilities and uh, outcomes that you're expecting, you're going to fail and you're going to burn and you're going to get fired. Right, right. So to, to go into, you know, a little bit more about what, what has worked for you guys. So to zoom back, you know, you, you get hired onto the sales role. You've kind of shown acumen for sales and, and the, the founder obviously saw that. What, as you're getting into this role, what, what surprised you? What are those things that you, you know, that turned out to be differently than you thought they'd be as you kind of started delving into this agency new business life? Yeah. Um, I think going back to kind of the, the timeline of the sales cycle, how long it can take to close business um, definitely sort of surprised me, especially, and I think every business can relate to this, you know, it's a very common thing where it's like you meet a client, great, you do a discovery session, great, you understand their problems, great, you create the proposal, and they need it right away. They need the proposal. And then you wait two, three months before you hear back or before they're ready to move forward. Um, so definitely the, the time it takes to close larger deals um, was something that still even to this day uh, surprises me. I'm a little bit more well-versed to it. I can train my mind more to be you know, a little more Zen and patient with the, with the process that it takes, but uh, it can be disheartening and it can, it can wear on you. So I think that surprised me. Um, The other thing that surprised me too uh, is, is a good thing I believe is that business transactions are still um, people like to meet face to face. People like to sit down with you. You know, we still live in a, or we live in a more digital era, obviously, where we can do this type of thing. We can Skype, we can meet online, we can, you know, text, email, DM, whatever, a million different channels, obviously, to communicate digitally. Um, but I, I actually really 
still, and it still shocks me how much people are still like, Hey, I want to meet you in person. Like if we're going to do this and I, and I, and I'm grateful for that. <laughs> like it's a good shock. It's like, thank God people still want uh, a human connection before they move forward. It's not as simple as just like, cool, sell me over the phone, sell me over Skype. Let's do this. Um, and that happens too. But I, I think I'm still pleasantly surprised by how much people uh, want to meet in person. And I, I like to meet in person too, because if I'm going to do, if we're going to do business, and this is another thing too, I just side caveat, relationships are everything in life, in business, in, in whatever. So I want to be able to shake the hand of the person that I'm, I'm doing business with. I want to be able to look them in the eye. I want to be able to also read them as a business person too, um, get into sort of a transactional circumstance. Um, and, and I think that's important and I'm still surprised by how many businesses really also want that as well. So it's a good surprise. Right. Right. And if anything, maybe it's going more towards that direction as, as digital becomes cheaper and easier for more and more people, there's more and more value ascribed to the older school, so to speak. So that's, that's a really yeah. good point. Um, beyond that, you know, how, how did you develop the sales process? How would you describe the way that your sales process evolved from day one to what it is now and the way that you package and sell bad studios? Sure. sure. It's always evolving too. I mean, especially with us because, you know, every year we try and add more focus and tailored services, particular to the times and what's happening and what clients need. You know, we're never sleeping on what's next and what's new and, and, you know, what we can build upon our own foundation. Um, but man, in the beginning, it was really kind of like a scattered and spray sort of like you have a Tommy gun and you're just trying to hit whatever and meet whatever. Now it's much more tailored in the type of folks that we're speaking to in our in our approach, in our value proposition. Um, so I'd say in the beginning, it was much more like full service. I have this amazing team, developers, creatives, media buy. I, we can do it all, man. And now it's much more refined. It's saying like, Hey, here is our actual process for accomplishing your goals. Here's how we get from point A to point Z with you and explaining that process in a much more refined and um, detailed manner than I think when we originally started or I originally started and was just figuring out, well, what do people need to hear, want to hear from a new agency that's soliciting them. So it's become much more tweaked over time. And also, I'd say the main thing that I have learned, again, going back to, I mean, it all plays into each other, is really learning and doing my research before I meet with anybody. So it's it, it cannot be just a one-size-fit-all. Um, and, and I hate using the word pitch, like pitching the agency, but just for lack of another word off the top of my head right now, it, it cannot be a one size fit all pitch. You need to understand even before you meet with clients, what their problems are, you need to go in there and understand just from internet research, looking up these people, looking up their businesses, their history, what some of their pain points are, whether you talk about them upfront or not, you need to know those in your back of your head so that as you're approaching uh, the sale or the introduction meeting, you have those things to rely on. Whereas in the past, I think I was just like, cool, I got a meeting. <laughs> this is amazing. Somebody wants to meet with me. <laughs> like, great, let's go in and just talk. But now it's, again, you've got to be much more sharp and refined when you're approaching new business. 
Yeah, I'd love it if you could dig into that a little bit more. Like, how, how have you guys decided, okay, we, we do all these things and we're going to so-called, you know, package this set of services for this type of person. What are some examples of that and what have you found to be effective versus what have you ditched along the way? Sure. So, okay. I mean, maybe this is like an inside trick, but I, whatever, we're here. So let's do it. You know, one of the things that um, has helped is, especially when I'm approaching a company, I'll look at what they're hiring for. So I'll look at what type of teams they're growing. Um, you know, are they hiring a lot of like media buying guys? Are they hiring a bunch of digital team? Are they hiring a bunch of developers? Are they hiring a bunch of UI UX people? You know, and that allows me to kind of go in and know like, wow, they are really looking to build out their digital platforms because we have a whole development team. So it allows me to go and say, hey, I see you're hiring for a lot of UX UI. What kind of projects are you building out? Do you need assistance here? You know, is there anything that your current team is limited on, which is why you're obviously looking to hire? Um, so again, it's kind of doing that nitty gritty research that I think, I mean, to me, that's that's simple at this point. It's like, look at what they're hiring for. Look at what their needs are. It's also, um, and you'll read this on a lot of blogs too, but it, but it is kind of uh, a good business development trick. You know, if I'm meeting with a CMO or a business director or, or a C-suite or even like a marketing manager or a brand manager, um, look them up. I mean, everyone's like, oh, that's, cre you know, that's creepy. Look at their Facebook or the Twitter. It's really not. Everybody's out there anyways. So do your research and see what, I mean, I'll give you a quick example. I got a meeting with uh, a VP of digital innovation at Disney because I went on his Twitter. I saw he was a big University of Miami hurricane football fan. There was a big game coming up. This is last year. Uh, and I shot him an email blanket statement. And I said, how would you like to watch UM versus Notre Dame in virtual reality? Uh, and it was clickbait, essentially. <laughs> he opened it. And I, the first line I said, I said, hey, I can't actually offer the service, but I'd like to talk to you about virtual reality because I see that Disney is building out their VR teams and blah, blah, blah. And listen, it got me a meeting. So a lot of times what you need to do is you need to you need to think bigger than sort of traditional channels of solicitation and outreach and what you've been doing. And you need to be willing to do some things that seem funky and weird. And again, kind of like what we were talking about earlier, a lot of them might not work. In fact, probably 99% of them aren't going to work. But everybody knows if you're in sales that it also still to this day is a game of numbers. You need to be reaching out to 100 people to land one meeting. And um, in order to get those meetings with people that you really want to meet with, you got to, you know what, sometimes you, you might even need to shell out some money. Maybe you should send them something. We've done all sorts of kind of crazy tactics, but what it comes down to is really doing your research on these people and their companies so that you can come in and fully understand who they are as people and what they're doing uh, for their company. So that's, that's just the most important thing that I can stress is, is research. And again, people don't like to hear this in this day and age. It takes time. Yep. Yeah, absolutely. And, and I love this because you're, you're basically saying, you need to be as crazy and irrational for yourselves as you would be for your clients, which is what every great agency is good at. But for some reason, um, turning that that energy inwards is really difficult. So I'd love it if you could shed a little bit of light on that. Like, why do you think the cobbler's children problem exists? And why do you think it's often so hard for agencies to 
focus on themselves and invest in themselves as much as they do for clients. Yeah. Cause there's, I mean, it's, it's pretty obvious. It's because, you know, client work takes up a lot of time to keep your current clients happy, takes all the energy in the world. So it's, I don't, I don't particularly think it's a cop out when agencies are like, we're too busy. I know they're too busy because I look at us and I'm like, we're busy. If you want to keep your current clients happy, you need to be putting all your energy and effort into that and making sure that you're executing on the services and uh, making sure you're executing on whatever your game plan is for your current clients. So that can eat a lot of time and uh, that can drain you of your resources and more importantly of your energy. But that's why it's important you know, for agency owners to kind of realize that when they're doing that, when they're, when they're focused on the operations of their business, when they're focused on their employees on top of also, you know, their, their current clients, you only have so much bandwidth as a, as a human being, you know, you can be one of these workaholics. You can work till, I don't know, midnight, 1am every day. If you want to, do you really want to? I, I don't think so. That gets old. Maybe when you're starting your business, sure. That's fine. You should put in that sweat equity. Um, but that's why it's so important to, to say like, okay, the cobbler's son has no shoes, but I have some expendable capital. Let me hire somebody to do business development for me. Uh, so that I don't have to worry about closing deals, follow-ups, which are the most important thing. I mean, if anything, you know, you want to have somebody that is keeping a strong CRM for you and following up because a lot of opportunities, listen, I've had businesses, I've had deals close two years after I met somebody just because I followed up, checked in, said, hey, what's going on? A lot of times it's nothing, nothing. I don't need you. I don't need you. I don't need you. We're good. We're good. We're good. Thank you. Thank you. Blah, 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 blah. If you even get that. But a lot of times, I think any good salesperson will tell you it's all about the follow-up. And people say it's not on, it's the eighth, ninth, tenth touch point. I've seen it on the hundred, hundred first, hundred. We had a meeting with um, uh, uh, American Greetings, a giant uh, greeting card company. I mean, they're they're rival to Hallmark, if that's exciting to anybody. <laughs> I mean, but it's a huge industry. And uh, I think I followed up with this guy. I mean, I wish I... I it's one of my favorite chains because it's like 120 emails and, and like literally it's a year and a half. And then the guy goes, Hey, we need something. Can you fly to Ohio to meet with us? I said, yeah, sure. <laughs> Let's do it. Great to finally meet you. Um, so it's, again, I can't stress it enough. It's, it's important to find somebody that's hungry and then it's important to also have patience, but that, Again, kind of circling back to your to your question, it's important for agency owners to say like to get out of that sort of headspace of the cobbler's son has no shoes. And we say it too from time to time. So I'm not knocking anybody. We fully understand it because there's only so much bandwidth. But you need to find you need to find somebody that you can trust to get the job done. That's what it comes down to at the end of the day. Yeah, that makes sense. And let's dig into, let's get a little nerdy about the follow-up and CRM game because I know that that's what a lot of uh, a lot of our listeners are clamoring for. Can you yeah. into that a little bit? Like what, how, how do you like to organize your CRM? How are you deciding how much of your day you're devoting to follow-ups? How are you determining cadence and schedule? I'd love to hear about, hear about that a little bit. Yeah, I mean, 
Um, I use a, I use a CRM that I'm really happy with and I'd recommend it. They don't pay me to say this, but I, I will recommend it to everybody. It's called pipe drive. Um, it's very affordable. I think it's like $25 a month per user. So it's, it's nothing to use. We used, we had a Salesforce, um, account years ago. Awful, awful for it. Just not, not, not for us. I mean, it's like, it, Using an eighteen wheeler wheeler to move your one bedroom apartment. You know, from it's it's just not it, at least for an agency of our size, and we're about a hundred folks total. Um, listen, it's a great tool. You can use it for it can do everything. I mean, Salesforce can can. I mean, it, it integrates with any software you're using. It's amazing. But for me personally, I didn't need that. So, and the agency just didn't want to integrate all the things with our our new business CRM. So, I use PipeDrive. Super awesome. Simple, easy. Um, I mean, I don't have a screen share here. I could show you kind of how, how it's set up. Um, but it's just easy to track sort of each sort of uh, part of the deal. Let's go a little broader. I mean, we don't have to, you know, yeah. we don't have to do a screen share. But I guess like how do you how do you divide up your day, you know, on a typical day between the follow-ups and meeting new people and yep. everything else you have to do? Yeah. What I was going to say is that um, so – Pipe drive allows you to sort of do that. I can set uh, time limits. I can set uh, email reminders or just ping notifications for me to follow up with this person at this certain time. So I'd say um, I'd say a good eh, less than a quarter of my day is done with follow ups. Um, I'd say another good quarter of my day is is done um, or is focused on uh, reaching out to new business. Um, I'm a big networker too. So a lot of my work is actually done after hours or before hours. So at breakfasts or going to, to lunches or, or dinners or just events around town. Um, and then I'd say a good 40% of my day is actually, um, either closing deals or working with current clients and making sure they're happy talking to our creative team. A lot of my job too does sort of fall into, uh, a light project management account executive sort of role. I'm still speaking with clients. It doesn't, it, for me, it's not like you close the deal, you get the, the, the signed statement of work and you move on. It's still a lot of that um, handholding and making sure clients are happy, even though we have account executives and project managers, the relationship and the rapport is oftentimes built with the salesperson. So you need to keep that relationship and that rapport very tight if you want to continue to do business with the person once that initial contract is up. So that's kind of how loosely my day is structured. I'm glad you brought that up because that's something that is, is always uh, touchy. And it's always kind of a delicate situation when you've built up all this rapport, you win the business, and then you do this handoff to people that have, are maybe starting to get involved, but the, the prospect or client doesn't know that well yet. Yeah. Uh, so I'd love it if you can get into that a little bit. How do you, how do, you do that handoff? How do you make sure that the, the client still feels comfortable with you, with your company once you leave the picture and then so on. Sure. So, I mean, again, I think transparency is key. So you need to explain to them upfront cause it's, it's one of the first things I'd say about like 70% of clients ask um, just in the initial phases of, of, of speaking with me, like, so what's your role? Am I going to be dealing with you day in and day out? Ha, ha, explain your team structure. So, uh, very often on, you need to explain up front, like, no, I do business development. I'm going to be pretty much walking you through the steps of getting kicked off and hopefully getting kicked off with my team. And you need to explain, here's how our team is structured. You're going to have a project manager. You're going to have an account executive. Sometimes 
even before a deal is closed, I'll bring those people on to just introduce themselves and say like, hey, here I am. I will be your day-to-day point person. But again, it's all established up front so that once that signed statement of work comes, there's like no surprise. Like, wow, Andrew, I really enjoyed working with you, but, but now you're gone. You never want that situation to happen. I'd say early on in my sales career, uh, that situation did arise a couple times. Um, but now it's very transparent saying like, here's the team, here's how they're going to get kicked off with you. Here's our process of, of getting your project started. Here's the process. Once we are started, here's all our communication touch points. Here's how often we'll be communicating with you. Here's all of the contacts of all the teams. So it's, again, you want to give the client everything you can to build that trust and rapport up front outside of just yourself. Obviously you want them to feel comfortable with you. You're the face of the company initially, but you also need to really make sure that you're building the trust with your team too, with, with the people that are going to be doing the day in day out creative management of the client. So we do that as early as you, as you can. I mean, before proposals, all of that, just try and make sure they understand how your team is structured and how you're going to be working with them moving forward once the deal is actually signed. Yeah. And to get a little bit of tactical with that, is there anything, sometimes I find that just small tweaks in the process can have huge effects, like getting the team involved at this stage instead of that stage. Is there anything like that you guys did where you're like, okay, we made this one change and now we're closing way more business or we have way happier clients or, or some combination of the two. Yeah. I mean, we, we, we have a project manager and an account executive on every client. So meaning we have somebody and and cause those roles can oftentimes sort of blend. Right. So what we've done is we make sure that we have somebody focused internally on how our team is executing on a project and also have somebody focused on communicating with the client. So, so sometimes those roles would blend where an account executive would kind of be the project manager, uh, managing our team and managing client. We have two separate people now doing that just because it can be a lot. It can be a lot of communication when you're dealing with five or six different people on your internal team and then dealing with a client. So we've, we've essentially created two separate roles and it's, it's really helped with communication for a client and it's really helped for our team to execute on whatever uh, a scope of work or a timeline looks like. Um, so that's one sort of tactical thing. Again, not all agencies maybe have the bandwidth or the capital to hire for two separate roles, but it's worked tremendously for us um, as far as like a PM and account executive uh, uh, role is concerned. Another thing that we've been doing Um, I'll introduce you to the, again, introducing the team very early on. So for example, I have a call today with a company that wants to redesign their mobile application. Uh, I'd say in the past, I traditionally would walk them through all the steps, explain to them our process, um, uh, lightly sort of introduce the team, maybe via email. Now what I do is I say, Hey, you guys want to talk to the designers? You want to understand their process for user experience design and UI interaction design? No problem. Let me get my creative director on the phone and let me get one of our senior digital designers on the phone ASAP. I don't care. You know what? Like if, if it's 30 minutes of their time, uh, whether or not the deal moves forward or not, it's, it's fine. So you need to 
you need to be extremely customer service focused. So think like you're the client. If I'm about to sign a big contract with you and give you a lot of my money, I want to know that you are looking out for my best interest and understanding that you're just a salesperson, you're looking out for signing the deal. I want to speak to the team that is actually going to be executing. We now give you full access. We're saying like, here, talk to whoever you want to talk to from our team that's going to make you feel comfortable in being able to move forward and working with us. So that has been a very important tactical change. We used to kind of hide away the creatives. Yeah. Because you know, creatives are creatives. They're interesting characters. Um, but now it's just like, hey, go for it. You know what? Let's introduce everybody, whether or not we think is going to go. Not. I want you to feel comfortable moving forward and working with my team. Right, right. And my guess is that there is a process whereby you, you protect your team's time as well and also build up the premium on your team's time so that, that it's not perceived as something that's not valuable. So, and this ties in with the whole RFP dog and pony show. You know, most of our clients and people we talk to are, are understandably skittish about investing tons of their team's time in a speculative mm -hmm. RFP. So I'd love it if you could go into that a little bit. Like how do you be client centric and give people what they need while still protecting, you know, all the time and all the work and all the, the finite amount of resources that your team has? Yeah, you gotta be, I mean, it's tricky, right? I, and I'll be, I'll be honest, we stay away from the, we have in the past, we've been staying away from just giant RFPs just because, and again, maybe this is a really um, skeptical sort of outlook on them. A lot of times we think that the agency, they're going to, whoever's there, it's already chosen. I mean, it's like a weird process. It's, and to me, it's kind of even an old school sort of way of, um, solicit for companies to solicit business. We, we will dive into an RFP if the opportunity, if it's, we, we scout the opportunity. If it looks like we will be able to absolutely crush and do a fantastic job. And we just know that it's so within our wheelhouse. We are like, we will literally like be like, you need to choose us because we will do the best job for you. Then we will sink the time and the effort and the energy we just did one for a really large uh, cruise company and uh, it made sense for us. It was worth the time. It was worth the effort. It was worth the energy despite kind of uh, the, the downside of possibly not getting it. So you need to be really selective with it. Again, it's kind of like anything. I guess I'll harp on this too much. Everyone wants to move super fast and I get it and everybody wants to close business and I get it, but you need to be more diligent with your time and you know, you, you'll get, you'll get 50 RFPs in a year. You'll get a ton of opportunities like that. But guess what? If you're sinking all your time into those, even if you get one or two of them, who knows? I mean, I, I don't know financial structures of every other business, but you're probably coming out down, I'd say. Yeah. So uh, you need to be selective. That's, that's my advice there. I can't speak too much on it. We pass on a ton of them um, if, if we just don't think they're good opportunities for us. Right. And I think RFPs aside, you touched on a really important point, which is diligence with your time. So, mm -hmm. you know, are, are there opportunities or prospects that day one, Andrew would have said, yes, I'll get on a plane for that. Now you're like, okay, I'm, I, I wouldn't now, like if this thing is here, I'm going to cancel this out and then not invest my team's time. Um, sometimes that's an easier way of figuring out how to how to invest yeah. your time and figuring out what the, what, what defines a good opportunity. If that yeah. Makes sense. It's, it's also a tricky one too. I mean, um, 
because you can get, you know, you can, you can get a phone call from, I don't know, uh, a, a VP of a large software or a large, a large beverage company, let's say an unnamed beverage company. You're like, Whoa, these guys are hitting me up. Okay, cool. Like, <laughs> sure. I'll whatever you need. And you, again, kind of going back to the RFP, you sort of sniff it out. A lot of times companies will hit you up for ideas and not move forward with you. It's, it's hard. It's because you don't, you, I'm not a fan of judging a book by its cover. I've had, I've had opportunities come across my plate and been like, this is so, this is BS, you know, this is totally, and they end up being real. So it's, it's hard because you want to be a judge of character and the people that you're talking to and the companies you're talking to. And sometimes you just don't know. Um, I'd say um, I've gotten a lot better though at sniffing out the, the BS quickly. I'll still give them some time. I'll give them an hour of my time and pretty quickly I'll know if they're serious or not. Um, but it's tricky off the bat. I mean, I'll never turn anybody down from a cold email or cold, cold, you know, phone call. I'll give them an hour of my time. Again, that's fine. In the past though, maybe I dive in with the team and be like, we got a proposal. We got a, we have this amazing opportunity. I won't do that so much anymore, but I'll still at least vet them myself and, and dig in and maybe even speak with, uh, you know, the owner of the company or some of our C-suite to say like, Hey, what do you guys feel? Do you want to hop on a call? What do you think? And, and get some round table advice outside of my own sort of logic. Um, but, but still you really never know until you kind of give them a little bit of time. But, but once you do that, I'd say you can sniff out if somebody's serious about doing business or not. And trust me, I had one recently where it's like, sometimes people just want to hear themselves talk, have their idea or their strategy reaffirmed by somebody and just be like, cool, got it. Thanks. Moving on. So you know, it's tough. It's, there's no real one answer for that one. Yeah. Yeah, of course. And that's, that's the job to some extent and you get better at it over, over time. So yeah. I, know, I know we're getting towards the end of the time. And one uh, can question that, that I love to ask is well, you know, what, what trends are you seeing, be it in the marketing space or the world at large that, that agencies should be paying more attention to? Sure. Um, I'll speak for us individually as an agency and kind of what we've seen is and something that we've been heavily investing in, which is um, really the development side and the development capabilities of the agency. So um, a lot of clients now are coming to us with requests outside of the general scope of, hey, we need a campaign, we need an idea, we need to build all the assets around it. We need design, we need art direction, we need videography, photography, we need you know the media rollout, the campaign, all of that stuff. Um, what a lot of companies and clients are coming to uh, us now for is is custom proprietary software, mobile applications, digital experiences, web-based experiences, things that can be deployed to their customers and consumers either as standalone products in the digital space or as um, interactive marketing campaigns. So customers and consumers and digital consumers in particular are getting a lot more savvy. Uh, we live in the endless scroll age where, okay, cool. You've got a beautiful, interesting video, commercial photography, whatever it may be. Uh, it's, it's not necessarily doing the trick that it used to. You need to give something, you need to provide, um, extra value to your customer, even when you're just marketing to them. So 
a lot of our customers now are coming to us to build interactive solutions, things that people can play with, things that people can learn from, things that are, aren't so much uh, one and done throwaway sort of pieces of content and uh, creative. And we're finding that um, being able to develop and deploy these experiences, things from web-based augmented reality to web-based virtual reality to interactive landing pages to interactive emails, um, it's just becoming a lot more necessary. So we've taken, again, the time and the resources and the capital, and it, maybe it's not for everybody to really invest heavily in building a strong um, development team. So it's it's a trend uh, for sure, and it's where a lot of things are going. So it's it's been important for us to to do our due diligence and invest in the, that space. Yeah. And I think we could probably do a whole nother episode or five on development talent and on getting good development talent when so much of it's going to Silicon Valley and how the agency space can still compete there. So I think that's Absolutely. probably a episode for another day, but Andrew, this was, this was amazing. Thanks so much. Yeah. Um, no, I appreciate people, it. Yeah. No, yeah, of course. And then uh, how can people get in touch with you? Um, you can email me at andrew at yeswearemad.com. So andrew at yeswearemad.com. I'm not going to give out my cell phone, but uh, shoot me an email. I always respond. Uh, if anybody wants to talk, always happy to talk about business development, clients, collaborations, uh, technology, I'm, or just if you want to grab a beer or coffee, I'm, I'm a good hang. So uh, yeah, that's, uh, that's how you get in contact. Awesome. Thanks, you, man. Cool. Take care. Thank you for listening to the Digital Agency Growth Podcast. Again, today's episode is sponsored by our company, Sales Schema. And if you would like to get your hands on our latest video training, which is how to build an evergreen growth engine for your boutique agency. Again, this is everything we've learned, all the newest tips, tricks, and long-term strategies, not just fast-moving tactics that you can use to create opportunities and close more business for your agencies using a direct outreach approach. Um, so if you want to get your hands on that, you can go to saleschema.com slash video training. Again, saleschema.com slash video training. Thanks, and I look forward to catching you on the next episode.